0: What'd you think of that? I liked it! Oh! You... Uh, you like that? No, I just wanted to see what you do if I said I did.
1: Oh. <laughs> Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. I'm here with my co-host Nick Jackson. Nick, did you enjoy the break?
2: It's been a nice break. I I tend to keep busy, but it's uh, it's also really good to be back.
1: Yeah, I took a little time off to recharge and um, did some traveling, and I had some I had some I had a, I had a, I had a good time. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to be back. To be back. Shout out to the, my friends at DragonCon. That was that was a good time.
2: That sounds like it was awesome. I'm jealous.
1: It was a lot of fun. This is a feed of Lunatic Daring, where a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and lunaticdaring.com, where you can find all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. We are starting the final season of The Muppet Show, season five.
2: I mean, time's an illusion, but it feels like we just started this podcast.
1: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's, it's been a couple years. Yeah, we are starting season five of The Muppet Show, two episodes at a time, as we normally do making our way to um, two very big movies at the end of the season. But uh, before that, though, we got some Muppet Show to talk about. So you ready to get started? Let's get this started.
0: So
2: you
1: didn't know much about Gene Kelly?
2: I've heard his name. Um, I've never seen Singing in the Rain. I've seen the scene that people tend to like to reference, but I have no idea what the context for it is
1: there's not much context it's just him singing in the ring yeah. eugene I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and apologize ahead of time this is not gonna do him justice eugene curran kelly was born august 23rd 1912 in pittsburgh pa when he was eight he enrolled in dance class but other classmates called him a sissy for it and so he quit um and didn't go back until he was 15 What he really wanted to do, like so many of us Midwestern boys, was play shortstop for his hometown professional baseball club. I can identify. Uh, His family opened a dance studio near Pittsburgh in 1932, and Gene taught there while also attending law school. But law school didn't last very long, only a few months, because he decided to give up on that and pursue dancing and dance instruction for a career. He made his Broadway debut as a dancer in a Cole Porter musical. His first big gig was in the was in the Time of Your Life in 1939, where importantly he acted as his own choreographer for the first time. Then he did the Rogers and Hart musical, uh, Pal Joey, and that made him a Broadway star. Um, Hollywood, specifically David O. Selznick and MGM, came knocking, and Kelly's first film was first film for MGM was Me and My Girl in 1942, starring Judy Garland. He did another film alongside Lucille Ball, a couple of B movies. And just as his movie career got going in 44, he enlisted in the Navy where he was assigned to be where he was assigned to the photographic section in Washington, D.C. After the war he went back to work and came back with Anchors Away where he choreographed dance scenes with Frank Sinatra and most famously with the animated Jer- with the animated Jerry the Mouse of Tom and Jerry fame. In a ground breaking scene combining animation and live action. It made him a superstar and it paved the way for movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He didn't only do song and dance movies. He played D'Artagnan in The Three Musketeers and did a gangster movie called The Black Hand, but mostly he did song and dance movies. In 1949, his third and final film with Frank Sinatra came out, On the Town, and that movie just blew up and is considered one of Hollywood's great movie musicals, and it is. Right after this, he did two films that would solidify him in Hollywood history. The multi-Oscar winning An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain, in which the film's eponymous number is the most recognizable sequence in musical cinema history. But just don't base it on that. The whole movie is freaking amazing. As the movie musical faded out of popularity, Gene kept working, but MGM lost confidence in his box office appeal and they parted ways in 1957. He directed films. He did a lot of TV appearances. Listen, look, this is Gene freaking Kelly. I'm not going to go through everything. This could be... The whole episode could just be me telling you about Gene Kelly, and that's just not what we're here to do. He directed films. He did a lot of appearances on TV. He worked for Universal and Fox. He directed the 1969 Oscar-winning Hello, Dolly! with Barbara Streisand. He was one of the narrators of the That's Entertainment documentary franchise, which brought the great Fred Astaire briefly out of retirement. In 1980, he co-starred in the modern movie musical Xanadu, which is either the best or worst movie of all time, depending on who you ask. He was a lifelong Democrat was on the board of directors for the Writers Guild. He was a Roman Catholic up until the church supported the nationalist Francisco Franco during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, when they did that, he uh, cut ties with the church and became an agnostic. He was married three times, including in 1990 when he was 77 and his bride was 30. She would be with him for the remaining six years of his life. In 1994, he suffered a stroke and then the next year, another. He died on February 2nd, 1996 at the age of 83. It's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is at 6153 Hollywood Boulevard in in L.A. Uh, I don't feel good about this one, but just understand that Gene Kelly was a big freaking deal. The Muppet Show episode number 501 with special guest star Gene Kelly produced August 19th through 21st, 1980, premiered early 1981. This was actually, according to Muppet Wiki, this was the last episode that was filmed for the series. They were released in different order, but he was. But this is the last one that they filmed. And that's going to become important when we talk about the backstage story. You're part of the backstage story. So, Nick, we have a new cold open now. We've had three years of Scooter knocking on people's doors. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we have Pops, played by Jerry Nelson, who, uh, works, at the, who works at the reception desk. Um, Pops will be our new Scooter for the rest of the season, for the rest of the show where guests are uh, check into the show and, and they come in and pops is pops always ask them who they are. <laughs> and hmm. then once they say who they are, he's like, Oh yeah, you're our guest star. Gene comes to the reception desk and uh, pops asks him who he is. And he says, I'm Gene Kelly. And he goes, Oh, you're the, you're the guest star. And he's like, yeah, I, I did. Kermit leave me a ticket. And he's like, you don't need a ticket. You're the guest star. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not here to perform. Just here to watch the show. And that's going to be the backstage story for Gene Kelly is that, He's not here to perform. He just wants to watch the show.
2: I don't think Kermit gave it the uh the straight treatment to to let him know why he was being invited to the show.
1: Yeah, I think Kermit I think Kermit pulled the wool over his eyes a little bit. But uh this will be our new cold open for the final season. Uh also, when we get to the Muppet Show theme, this is the final final iteration of the Muppet Show theme. When I hear the Muppet Show theme in my head, I hear this version. It includes a new verse from Statler and Waldorf.
0: Why do come here i guess we'll never know it's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show
1: it gives a little solo to lips and the trumpet girl <laughs> and yeah and it's just it's it's the and it's got that great audience callback to you know um Alex, get me Why don't you get me gonzo Blows into his trumpet and it rings like a telephone and he answers it and tells the person on the other line that uh, whoever they're asking for is not home. So Kermit comes out to introduce um, the first number and he mentions uh, Gene Kelly and Gene pulls him off to the side. Gene's going to spend most of his time waiting in the wings. Pulls Kermit off to the side to tell Kermit, like, no, man, I'm not I'm not performing tonight. I'm just here to watch.
2: This raises an interesting question, especially like an interesting season five question, which is. Does this mean that we have to assume that every guest that has ever appeared on the Muppet show hasn't rehearsed like they just they drop them into it? They show up, say wing it. I mean, it would explain a couple of things, but also.
1: So Gene is very adamant that he is not going to perform. He does it with a smile. Mm -hmm. He does it. He does it with his very charming movie star smile. But every time. Kermit's like, yeah, you know, when, when you sing for us, he's like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to perform tonight. So Kermit tells Gene to hold on. We're going to talk about this some more. Introduces our opening number for the season. He introduces it as the endangered species chorus line. Which I thought was interesting.
2: I just I, first I love that. But also because my sense of humor is the way it is. I thought this was going someplace very dark.
1: Yeah, it 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 doesn't really. I mean, cat cut does get eaten by a gator.
2: I was wondering if the jambalaya bit was a was a play on them like getting ready to get cooked or something. But
1: a bunch of baby seals and penguins, um, sing a song called uh, "Jambalaya," which is an old Hank Williams song. Are these endangered animals? I think the real question is, were they endangered in the eighties? Yeah, I just I, I I don't remember a time where penguins were on the endangered species. I,
2: I don't think it would be all penguins, but, like, specific sub... Was it sub the Emperor some penguin? Penguins?
1: Yeah, maybe. I, feel, maybe. I feel like
2: remembering, like, the early 90s Emperor Penguins being endangered or something, but I could be misremembering that.
1: But, uh, it's a, it's a fairly standard
2: Muppet Show opening. I would still say that that walrus does not actually look like a walrus. But,
1: <laughs> okay. What does it look like?
2: I don't know. A hemato- it It's disturbing... I, I guess we have to get the nightmare fuel in early.
1: Um, so yeah, you got a walrus, you got penguins, you got seals, you got, you got cat gut who's fishing out of, a, out of, in a, in a, in a ice hole and gets taken out by a gator. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty standard. It's a pretty standard uh, opening. There's
2: not, there's not a lot to say. Like I think season four, especially when season four started their their opening musical numbers are always really solid. This isn't, bad it's just not particularly
1: noteworthy so backstage um, Kermit's calling for the next act which is Prince Rudolph and his invisible cheeseburger it's a very funny exchange with Prince Rudolph um, about he says what does he say it was uh,
0: excuse me have you seen a cheeseburger waiting in the wings Uh, no good he's on time for a change
1: which I thought was pretty funny and then there's this other secondary subplot secondary backstage story, where basically Scooter takes some tarot cards and reads, of all people, Bo's future.
0: It says here in my fortune telling cards that for you, the seven of lumps is in the ascendancy with the beginning of the drowning refrigerator. What does that mean? It's the end of the world. The invisible cheeseburger has lost his voice. There's nothing left of him but the smell of onions. It's the end of the world. Well, it's not that
2: bad. So before I realized that this was the last recorded episode, this felt stuck in because it was running parallel with Gene refusing to play. But now that I know that it was, and honestly, I feel like it's still a shortcoming if, I'm sorry, I'm being super critical already. No. But if that was going to be the thing, it's running independent, or it should work independent of whether or not this is actually the last recorded episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, what you're referring to is is basically Scooter reads Bo's fortune and the fortune that he gets in his tarot cards is that that the end of the world is coming. Mm-hmm. It can be read that this is a joke about the show ending. You know, spoilers for The Muppet Show, there's no season, there's no series finale. Mm-hmm. There's no like episode where they acknowledge there's that, that the show's ending, there's no there's no episode where, you know, no one turns off the lights in the studio in, in a poignant moment. There's no last episode of the Muppet Show. This just happened to be the last one recorded. And so they kind of snuck in this little this little uh running gag about the fact that the world is coming to an end. And I agree with you. I don't think it adds much to the episode. Um, it does feel a little a little sandwiched in. This strikes Beauregard as very scary. As it as as it would, if you believed it. So Bo, Bo is completely freaked out now that it's gonna, that, that the end of the world is coming. So then Kermit's still trying to get Gene to go on stage and um, not having much luck. And um, he goes, well, if you don't do it, Gene, I'm going to have to do it. And I can't dance. My note immediately when he said that was that the
2: frog canonically can dance.
1: It's a bald-faced lie. And Gene says, well, I used to be a dance instructor. I could teach you how to dance, which he did. If you listen to my bio, he was a dance instructor. I can teach you how to dance. And Kermit's like, oh, that's great. Where, where can we do it? And he's like, oh, I don't know, anywhere. And he manages to get Gene out on stage. <laughs> it, it turns out that Kermit was lying for a purpose, to get Gene out on stage. And um, they do a little uh, little dance lesson together with Kermit in front of a, bla- a piece of black velvet or whatever it is. You know, They, they use a black box technique um, for Kermit's dancing. And, uh, and Gene, and they just do a little back and forth with them, some um, tap dancing. I thought it was a clever way to kind of trick him to get on stage.
2: Yeah, it was nice. I was wondering how long it would, because it, it was the Bob Hope episode where.
1: Was yeah, we were so busy.
2: Would, exactly. I was worried this would be an echo of that, but they actually did a pretty good job of getting him out there. At the Like those right note moments.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's the guest star. He does. He, he has plenty to do. Mm hmm. So after the dance number with Kermit, um, where they dance to a couple of different songs, Beauregard tells Kermit that he gave his favorite sponge mop to Gene because he's giving away all his worldly possessions because the world is coming to an end um, and that he's worried sick about it. As he says that, Dr. Bob and Janice walk by and go, you're sick. Great. We need a patient for the next number. And he gets hauled out into the next veterinarian's hospital
2: going into the, the veterinarian's hospital. A lot of this is recontextualized and recognizing that it is supposed to be the last episode nominally.
1: Kind of. Yeah.
2: Here we get another major departure because we've never seen the announcer before. Nope. Um Also, subferior was a pretty decent joke, but
1: subferior. I liked. I liked subferior uh, yeah. that old Ralph Wiggum's
2: joke.
0: Me fail English. That's impossible.
1: So Bo's the patient. And, um, he's talking about the world coming to an end and, and Bob and Piggy and Janice are just making jokes as usual. Um, but he warns them that there's going to be a sign because oh, all of a sudden he went from just getting his tarot cards read to all of a sudden being a prophet. And he says, he says, there's going to be a sign that's going to let you know the world's ending and, um, nobody believes him. And, and I think the, what, what was, what did they say? They said, uh, the, the sign will be if we get an honest joke in this sh- sketch hmm and then and then you're right and then at the end of the sketch the something that happens though is the announcer falls out of the rafters and we see this blue whatnot who uh with the voice of jerry nelson who is who has been our announcer all this time so it does kind of feel like a final episode in that way too right it's mm-hmm. kind of like a reveal but yeah we get to see the announcer which is pretty cool uh we get our uk spot that like starts off kind of sweet and then turns into a benny hill sketch yeah Wolfhound and another dog sing a song called Fit as a Fiddle, uh, along with a French poodle who's on a fiddle. I have a question. Are there male poodles? I know there are male poodles, but have you ever seen a male poodle depicted? Was the one on the Hulk male? Did did we know? Oh, the the the, the, the Hulk the poodles. Angley Hulk. Angley Hulk poodles poodles. <laughs> that I don't know. It just seems that poodles are always depicted as female and whenever they're anthropomorphized. Far more often than not. They sing a song called Fit as a Fiddle, which was done by uh, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor in Singing in the Rain. And and, it, and it's, it's, it's fun. My kids were dancing around to it. But then the two dogs start to chase the poodle as they realize she's, she's quite a catch, I guess. And it turns into Benny Hill where they're just kind of chasing her around in a circle. But it does end up with probably the first Muppet, what we can assume is the first Muppet gay kiss.
2: <laughs> uh, I feel like we crossed that ground already But I can't remember when
1: The, the two dogs do end up kissing each other Because they go for a kiss on the poodle And she moves out of the way And she's, it turns out she's already got a guy anyway I love this next bit <laughs> this was The pivot is so good Piggy tells Gene he's been doing a good job And he's like I haven't been doing anything And she's like well you're doing a great job
0: Hey Gene, You have sung too many beautiful women Yes yes I've been lucky your luck's still with you. It is. Eugene, hey I am not one to beg, but please sing to me.
1: So he sings a song called "Wonderful You," which is from the movie Summer Stock, and um, "You Wonderful You" to Piggy, and it's it's just a nice, you know, love song. But then they get interrupted. Gonzo
2: comes in to let Piggy know that she needs to get ready for pigs in space.
1: And she's more than willing. She's ready to go. She's she's a professional.
2: Of course. And Gonzo's also a consummate professional. He
1: understands that the show must go on. And and Gene's like, we're in the middle of the song. We're still in the middle of the song. And Gonzo's like, well, well, let's finish it. And he dives into Gene's arms. (laughs) It takes Piggy's position. And they finish the song together. (laughs) With Gene Kelly gently cradling Gonzo the Great.
0: Finders, keepers. Losers, weepers. (laughs) Because it's true. you're by now, you wonderful
1: you. So we get, a, I think, a very funny Pigs in Space. Oh, it's great. It, it had me thinking about the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So Pigs in Space. They're, it turns out that the swine Trek is coming up on the end of the universe they, they they have finally been traveling for so far again this is another clue that this was the last episode mm-hmm. um they're getting to, they're, they're they're approaching the end of the universe and they find out that when they reach the end of the universe they will learn the meaning of life and that they're going to get there in one minute and they're waiting they're waiting and then the dinner bell goes off <laughs>
0: Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's just the dinner gone. Oh, God. That means I'm going to miss the meaning and purpose of life. But think, can't you just skip dinner? What? Why they're having swill stroganoff.
1: He's got his priorities. And so he leaves. And Piggy and Strange Pork only have like 20 seconds left before they find out the meaning of life. But they just sit there and they're like, will Stroganov. and then they run to go get food <laughs> and they miss the meaning of life
2: it's okay this guy is falling and by this guy i mean
1: our poor poor announcer it cuts to him up at newsflash and him up at. he comes out and he's like he's like the most important discovery of all time we figured out the meaning we've discovered the meaning of life and he's like and the meaning of life is and he can't find the paper <laughs> he just can't find the sheet of paper that it's written on
2: Somehow that's the meanest thing that's happened to him. And he's been bludgeoned relentlessly.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so funny.
1: It's so very funny. He's just like, he's like, we have the meaning of life on this piece of paper. And I misplaced it. I think he has a line. He's like, how how can I find anything when you keep straightening up my desk?
2: <laughs> I feel that pain on a deep and personal level. <laughs> It only um, looks messy. Everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. So
1: then we come back to Pigs in Space, and the, they're kind of upset that they missed the meaning of life. They missed the whole, the, the purpose of life, the meaning of life. They missed it because they were too hungry. They needed their swill. And um, the announcer starts taunting them through the through the speaker, saying, like, I was here. I know the answer.
0: Not all of us missed it. Oh, oh tell, so tell us, tell us. Tell us, tell what is it? I know something you don't know.
1: And Piggy's like, well, I know something you don't know. And she presses the lever and the announcer comes crashing down onto the set again. Um, so that's two appearances from the announcer. But uh, he still doesn't give give up the goods, though. No, of course not. He's been the eye in the sky basically all series. Yeah, but he, he, he now knows the meaning of life and he's not going to tell anybody. Depends on what the meaning of life is. Maybe it's it behooves him not to. Maybe it's horrible. Yeah, maybe maybe it would, it would just cause panic. So Scooter and Kermit are talking and. Kermit's like, do you have it ready yet? And he's like, yes, the set is ready. They have created on stage, they've created a set that is basically, and it's a really good replica, an exact replica of the Singing in the the Rain sketch from Singing in the Rain, the the musical number. At first, he's talking to Lubbock Lou and the Jug Huggers, and he's telling them there's no room for for them on the show tonight. But then Gene comes in, and he's like,
0: is Gene excited about doing Singing in the Rain on the show? Well, he doesn't know about it yet. Uh, what do I know about yet, Kermit? Uh, oh, it's our surprise closing number, Gene. Well, I, I hope it's not for me. I, I, I don't want to do anything more. I just came here to enjoy myself, sit down, and relax. Uh, not even something like uh, all singing in the rain, possibly? Especially not that number. You know, I, I've done that number so much, people are tired of it. Well, but Gene, that's, exactly, <laughs> what that's we, exactly what we thought. Gene's not going to want to do singing in the rain, we said. Didn't we, Scooter? Uh, Yeah, yeah that's what we said, I guess. Well, maybe I wasn't listening to us.
1: And uh, so he sends the the Jug Huggers out onto the singing in the rain stage where apparently they've set up water towers. And they come, they go out and they sing a song called Cool Water while they're getting just drenched. Um, it's funny about this song. You remember Roy Rogers? Mm-hmm. He had a group called The Sons of the Pioneers and uh, the song was uh, was a song of theirs. But um but yeah, they just it's a it's a very brief number and, and Lubbock Lou ends up with a mouthful of water at the end of it. But um but but the idea that like they have this singing in the rain set and they got and they don't have anything to do with it, so they throw the jug band out there um where all the rain is. It was kind of funny. Gene just does not want to do singing in the rain backstage. Gene finally is kind of giving in a little bit and he's like, you wanted me to sing singing in the rain, didn't you? They're like, Kermit's like, "Eh, yeah. And he's like, I'd have sang it everywhere and it would, and I'll never sing it as well as I did the first time as I did in the movie. And it'll never be the same again. So Rolf really wants him to sing it too. So Rolf starts, this is hard to explain rolf starts playing the opening little notes of singing in the rain but that leads to gene singing a different song
0: yeah but gene didn't this vamp i'm playing make you kind of feel like singing yeah that vamp does it's wonderful you should Awful nights Awful nights nice. paradise paradise It's, it's what I love. I love to see No, 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 not, not that song, this song Oh, that song, I know that one, sure You were meant for me oh, I was meant No, no, no. Just listen to the vamp now. The bells are ringing for me. The Birds are singing for me, my guy. Hey, wait a minute. I give up, Gene.
1: So he keeps kind of, he's basically trolling them by using, by singing other songs. Then eventually he kicks into singing on the rain.
0: I'm singing in the rain, you're singing in the rain, what a glorious feeling, I'm happy again.
1: This was interesting to me because he does sing... Uh, not the whole song, but he sings a chunk of Singing in the Rain. And then he goes out onto the set that they've built. Now, the Muppets have built, the Muppets show, the production itself, the Muppet construction crew, has created, in my opinion, a pretty damn good replica of the set from the actual film. And Gene Kelly comes out onto it after singing Singing in the Rain backstage. He comes out onto the set. It's not raining. He puts away his umbrella and he walks away (laughs) and he does not do the number on the set. It just seems like a lot of work. (laughs) It
2: does, but also there's a payoff in him just sort of doing that anyway. Like I, it would not surprise me at all for Gene Kelly to just be as sick of singing in the rain as he's pretending that he is for this episode. It could be,
1: it just, it just felt, it was just funny. I was just like, man, they did a really good job recreating that and he's not going to do any of the moves, you know? He's not going to do any of the moves.
2: It sort of feels like the Chekhov's gun a little bit, though, because we've they've been talking about getting everything ready for the set, and you know that they've been building toward this. And this is Gene sort of giving them what they want, but not in the way they want, which goes back to the old malicious compliance thing.
1: We come back to say goodnight, and um, uh, Bo, Bo's wondering why how everyone can still be so happy when the world's coming to an end, and Gene tells him that he went back and read the tarot card manual and that the world's not coming to an end, that he read it wrong. And Bo says, nope, you're just saying that to make me feel better, believe me.
0: You're trying to make me feel better, but I know the end is near. I uh, know the end is now. We'll see you next time on *Up Muppet Show.
1: If you do understand that this was the last one they filmed, it does. It, there is a little bit of a, a Kermit going, no, like, nope, the end is now. And then the credits roll. So what did you think of Gene Kelly? I like Gene Kelly.
2: At some point, I'm sure that I will see Singing in the the Rain, probably sometime after I actually see The Wizard of Oz.
1: But... I like Singing in the Rain better. Good to know.
0: It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Loretta Swind.
1: You ever watch any MASH? Probably. I I feel like it
2: was something that was one of those Nick at Night staples that I might have caught along with I Love
1: Lucy without really processing what I was watching. It was on for a very long time. I grew up watching MASH. The the show that lasted longer than the war it was depicting. That's true. Rod
2: Serling was very critical of it. I remember that being something they went over in one of his lectures. But
1: Well, I'm a fan of the movie. Mm-hmm. And um but the movie what's interesting about the film, a little bit of film lesson here. What's interesting about the movie MASH is that if you actually watch the film, it never once says that it takes place in Korea. Hmm. The movie was made in 1970. It's a Vietnam movie, but this, the, the Robert Altman, Robert Altman, and everyone in it, they thought they were making a Vietnam movie.
2: Well, that's yeah, that makes sense. And Vietnam would have been very political or polemical.
1: At- but yeah, but the studio at the time was not a fan of putting out a Vietnam movie, so they put a crawl. They put text at the beginning that said Korea, 1954. And they kind of turned it into a Korean War film. When you get to the show, it's explicitly the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And the people who made the movie never quite liked the show. But MASH was a very beloved show. It, the, the finale of MASH is one of the most watched things in the history of television. And um, it still runs, I'm sure, on on channels all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm sure
2: it's on TV land and all sorts of other stuff.
1: But tell me about um, Hot Lips Houlihan. <laughs> Loretta Swit,
2: born, and I'm going to mispronounce her, her actual last name, and I don't mean any disrespect behind it, born Loretta Sved, I, I think that it's S-Z-W-E-D, it's a Polish name. But she was born Loretta Zwed and on November 4th, 1937, in Psyche, New Jersey, to Lester and Nellie Sved, who were both Polish immigrants. Her father was a salesman and an upholsterer, uh, Loretta herself was part of a Girl Scout troop called the Holy Rosary Scouts. It doesn't comment very much on how religious her upbringing is, but a lot of these names seem kind of weighted. She grad she graduated from Pope Pius the Twelfth High School in passaic in 1955. While she'd been there, she'd been a cheerleader, she'd participated in theater, and she was co captain of the women's basketball team. So she stayed pretty active. She attended Catherine Gibbs School in Montclair, New Jersey. Afterwards, she took a variety of clerical jobs. While being trained to dance by classmate Eliz- Elizabeth Parent Barber, she also worked on her acting al- talents. At this time, she would move to Manhattan to study drama with Jean Frankel, and she would regularly return to his studio throughout the years to speak with aspiring actors. Her first off-Broadway appearance was in an Actors' Playhouse production of *An Enemy of the People*. In 1961, she landed a role in *The Balcony*, written by Je- I believe that's Jean Genet, and produced by Jose Quintero. In nineteen sixty seven, she toured with a national company of Any Wednesday and continued as one of the Pigeon Sisters opposite Don Rickles and Orgus Ur- Borgnine in an LA run of The Odd Couple, which I did not realize was a play first.
1: Yep, Neil uh, Simon.
2: Yeah. Um she would stay in Hollywood in nineteen sixty nine, performing guest roles on series like Hawaii Five O, Gunsmoke, and Mission Impossible. There are a lot of guest roles, I'll rattle off some of those toward the end of this bio. But her big break came in nineteen seventy two when she played my Major Margaret Hotlips Houlihan. Her character was pretty hard-lined in the first few seasons, but she was soft and over time she was one of only four cast members to stay for all 11 seasons and she would receive two Emmy Awards for her work on the show.
1: Let's see her Alan Alda Gary Berghoff, God, and Jamie Farr maybe?
2: Swit and Alda were the only actors to have been in both the pilot and the finale, and she appeared in all but 11 of the two 256 episodes the four that made it to or from 1972 to 83 were swit alan alda jamie farr and william christopher
1: oh gary berghoff did
2: leave he played father john mokahi
1: well, well father McCahey. okay McCahy, sorry father McCahey. all right i guess radar did leave the show
2: <laughs> um in 1981, she played Christine Cagney and Cagney and Lacey for the movie pilot, but she couldn't stay for the show because of contract or contractual obligations to Mash. I believe she married actor Dennis Hulahan in 1983, and they would divorce in 1995. She would also write a book on. Wait, needle- she
1: married a guy named Hulahan.
2: Holohan. Okay, close enough. And then wrote the book, or wrote a book on needlepoint called a needlepoint scrapbook. Um, I've glossed over. She's got a lot a lot of TV roles. She was on The Love Boat. She was on Hollywood Squares. She was on... um, She had a random voice in Batman, the animated series, which also puts her in with so many of our other Muppet guest stars. And she was randomly in Cow and Chicken, which I doubt most people remember Cow and Chicken at this point. At this time, she is still alive. uh, And I don't believe she's officially retired either. Mrs. Loretta Swit,
1: Yeah, I just grew up with her as Hot Lips.
2: lips I just, I feel like if they remade MASH, and I don't know why they would remake MASH, because I'm sure all sorts of things would have to change. But I just want to see them getting Hot Lips past, like, focus testing. The Muppet Show, episode 502, featuring guest star Loretta Swit, was produced between March 10th and March 13th in the year 1980. It would release in the UK on October 12th of that year, and it would make it stateside on November 15th. We we get to our cold open where we get to see Pops for the second time, uh, and he greets Loretta at reception. Uh, and he, I, I didn't know who she was before Pops did this, because I'm still not working on the bios until after I watched the episode. But I was like, I have no idea who this woman is. And then the second he said mash, I was like, oh, I I know enough to know that that's going to be like a, a bedrock for a lot of where this is coming from. But
1: that's well, definitely what she's most famous for.
2: Yeah. Um, he gives her instructions for how to keep her dressing room clean. I don't know if.
1: No, he gives her instructions to keep her dressing room clean.
2: Yes. Which, yeah, he, I feel like pops has just sort of been there the entire time and he's long suffered and he's finally in the limelight because they like Gladys just had to go.
1: Yeah. I love to think that we've never seen that pops has been there the entire time. Yeah. Um, and we've just never seen this area of the theater.
2: At which point, Loretta confides that she started to wonder about the show when her contract have written in crayon.
1: Is Beauregard their legal guy now?
2: I wouldn't be surprised. I would be sad. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, but who's writing in crayon? Gonzo, maybe.
2: Maybe Beaker. We get to our opening, and Gonzo's head explodes when he blows the trumpet off. Uh, and he pulls a Nick Fury and just like pops his head out of the side and starts laughing. <laughs>
1: Because if anyone's going to enjoy his head blowing up, it's going to be Gonzo.
2: Oh, absolutely. And then we get to our first number, which I liked my dark sketches. I like my dark sketches. And surprisingly, I like the chickens and the way the chickens are employed on the show. But can we talk about the fact that we've got a song called Ain't Nobody Here But Us Chickens, which is set in a bar with two chickens being held captive and blindfolded?
1: Well, a bunch of carnivores sing the song
2: a bunch of carnivores sing the song, but we've got KFC buckets in shot. (laughs) We've got (laughs) tiny KFC. I was just like, Oh, that's terrible. You know, they were just sitting there like 30 seconds before the song started. Like, these are your friends. This is your future. They've only got two of the chickens. And we know that if Gonzo was in Marvel versus Capcom, those chickens would be projectiles. But Gonzo starts to sort of work his way into the, the barn. And I guess the chickens are strapped
1: yeah yeah so 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 the two chickens have been kidnapped by all these carnivores and they're singing this song ain't anybody here but us chickens gonzo is outside as the he's he's playing the farmer right mm-hmm. and he's like he's pacing back and forth outside trying to figure out what's going on in there um and he finally figures out that a couple of his chickens are in danger so he calls in his other chickens and yes they they come in guns ablazing which I was quite surprised at by <laughs>
2: I mean, if you've got two hostages in a space with a bunch of carnivores, I don't think you get to try to attempt the rescue twice. But also stray bullet was absolutely likely to catch one of those chickens. So you mentioned, I think, I can't remember who that reporter was in like season two that we didn't really like. But you assumed that he would come back. And I think this is
1: Scribbler. Fleet Scribbler.
2: I think you assumed that he would come back and this would be the episode that he came back on. I don't think I've seen Kermit lose his shit like this.
1: Oh, we never have.
2: Um, That's
1: the best part about it.
2: A whatnot photographer snaps a photo of Kermit and Miss Piggy. And
1: Scooter lets... And Piggy's like... And Kermit's like, what was that? She's like, nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's okay.
2: So can we talk about the fact that Miss Piggy is... I mean, she's subtle as a brick, but also you can't... uh, You can't conscript love. I don't care what you got out of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I don't know why that's one of the only musicals that I've seen. But it's not a... It's entrapment. It is pure entrapment. (laughs) It's pig-headed entrapment.
1: Piggy might have told a gossip magazine that her and Kermit were secretly married in Vegas last year. She may have done that.
2: But what did she think the outcome was going to be?
1: I a hop and honeymoon? I I, I don't know. I don't know what she thinks she's going to get out of it. Especially when it's it's going to be a cover story.
2: Scooter informs Kermit, Kermit that it's going to be a cover on Tongue Magazine, which I guess is the Muppet equivalent of
1: Time. Uh, no, I think it's some, it's like the it's like the national it's like a, it's a gossip magazine.
2: Mm. Kermit loses his shit.
0: Piggy, 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 have you been planting items about us in the gossip papers again? Whoa, whoa, whoa. what would make you think a thing like that? The photographer who was just here, he was from Tongue Magazine. Oh, oh, man. Well, It just a little teeny tiny item? It was a cover story about us being secretly married. only a slight exaggeration. That's a bald-faced lie, Piggy. I will not stand around while you do dumb things like that, Piggy. You have done that to me too many times, Piggy. I will not stand for it. I will not stand for it. What are going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Piggy! I'm going to fire you! Piggy, you are fired! You are fired! Piggy, you are fired! Fired!
2: For those of us just tuning in, that sounds a lot like mom and dad were just fighting and they just decided, screw it, the kids can see it. Like, that's just... That is <laughs> pure, pure pent-up rage. That's not something that's like a drop of the hat, I've got anger issues, upset. That's years and years of resentment building. And that, like that pushed just a little too far because you know that like if Kermit's got anyone that he's talking to outside of the Muppet cast and they catch wind of this, it's curtains for Kermit. And it's not even Kermit's fault outside of the fact that he hasn't fired Piggy before now. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If the backstory is that Kermit has finally met the Miss Mousy of his heart, that's starting to go somewhere and maybe things are looking up. And then this comes out, he has to have that very uncomfortable conversation that, No, I'm not actually secretly married to miss piggy. The star of our show is just obsessed with me and it's kind of unhealthy,
1: but it's totally worth it just to get Jim's performance. He did a hell of a job. Cause it is, it is angry, but it's also hysterical.
2: Like there's a good chance that this makes one of my top lists at the end of the season, but it also feels weird to nominate it for that because there's nothing, there's nothing light about it. I don't know. I think it's funny. I, the, it, it wraps back around toward the end, but this no, is—it's a, it's
1: a moment of genuine rage.
2: Yeah, part. yeah. Which again, none of that's a mark against it.
1: Yeah, it's, no, because it's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to see, but also,
1: oh, his voice is cracking, and yeah, yeah, that just—that's
2: when you hear that, you know that if you if you haven't screwed up, you have genuinely offended and upset this person. We, we go to Loretta's first bit, um, which features her as a seismologist singing a song called I Feel the Earth Move, which is a, a classic Carol King song. Yeah. And we see the return of Thog. And this is the first time that I've, I have I realize that I'm, I'm about to contradict myself. But also, I guess, not that I didn't think of Real Live Girl, but I didn't feel the need to see
0: Real Live Girl. Pardon me, miss, but I've never done this with a real live girl.
1: Oh, I wrote down all he wants is a real live girl.
0: Gee, what I've missed, cause
1: I've never been kissed by a real
2: live girl. I don't like there's something weirdly aggressive about Thog in this like he's actually gone full incel or something. Just He's a kaiju. He is, he's absolutely a Kaiju
1: this he's a kaiju he he destroys a small city
2: he's i don't think i've ever seen thog aggressive i think that's part of what threw me off
1: yeah i mean i don't know if he's aggressive is like like i don't know if aggressive is the right word because i don't consider godzilla aggressive really not when it comes to the destruction when he's fighting other monsters right but like he's just a force of nature he is but i mean he's just moving by by walking he's causing damage by existing he causes damage
2: he legit knocks down buildings though yeah thog is big and dumb but um it's yeah it's it's a nice bit I, it just threw me off cuz up until this sketch i've never thought of thog as anything like potentially scary despite his size
1: making him making him yeah but this is this is a whole different size yeah um, yeah I like the fact that Gonzo says he hasn't laughed so much since the movie Earthquake mm-hmm. Earthquake is not a comedy it is to Gonzo that's what matters <laughs> yeah apparently so but and I like to say uh, this was introduced I believe Kermit introduces this as like a tribute to the San San Andreas fault line mm-hmm. as someone who lived on or near that fault line for like 20 years not cool man not cool we all know it's there <laughs> we all know it's there
2: We've been getting some tremors up in the bay. I'm hoping that that's taking stress off of our fault, but we'll see.
1: Just saying, everyone in California is aware of the, of the San Andreas fault.
2: We go backstage, and Kermit and Piggy are still arguing. <laughs> yeah. Which, the thing is, the more that I see... Piggy never properly defends herself, because she never addresses that she's done wrong. She's just like, you can't be mad at me. And as someone who's dealt with those kinds of personalities, that's infuriating. And I was mad for Kermit by proxy. Like, I have I felt bad for Kermit in the past. I know that he's been kind of taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. But to see her in this moment was like, no, no, no. This is a problem, and this is a boundary. And for her to be like, you don't have boundaries. I'm like, no, you can't. Piggy, I've got a problem with you at this point. You can't do that. Because you know you crossed a line, but you won't admit it. No, she's not going to admit
1: it. He, he, there is a he does, he does make a lardo joke in this and a forklift joke that I didn't necessarily care for. While that is a fat joke, my children laughed. <laughs> so
2: there maybe is raising, that, but maybe also, I'm raising
1: terrible kids. I think part of,
2: so this doesn't excuse it, but in context, yeah. these two are in a fight.
1: Yeah. Use and whatever ammo you got.
2: Yeah. Like this is something that's been building for a while. She knows what she did was wrong, but she's not going to admit that she knows what she did is wrong and i don't like i
1: i love that they keep fighting
2: though oh yeah it's there is that aspect of it but there's also that part of me that's like no nah, she was fired already she should be gone like that inner i don't know that inner frustrated employee or whatever in me is just like why is she still there they told her no she needs to understand that when people say no they mean no no kermit's cool is completely gone i love seeing angry kermit i should not love seeing angry kermit but i absolutely do And the thing is, like, if he was just sent into a mindless tizzy and just rattling off random stuff and just completely, completely off his rocker, I don't think it would work as well. But he is. And I guess that's probably part of part of why the fat joke doesn't bother me so much. He is very articulate in his anger. It's earned like it's absolutely earned. Oh, yeah.
1: No, she has. He has every right to be pissed. That's for sure.
2: We find out that Miss Piggy hasn't quite wrapped her head around the fact that she can be replaced. And Kermit decides to have Loretta fill in for her on veterinarian's hospital, which I was about three seconds into this when I realized there was no patient.
1: (laughs) No, No, there's no patient. There was no plan. There's no sketch. None. She's basically just auditioning for it. She basically comes in and auditions for it by telling bad jokes.
2: Which if you're going to audition for it any kind of way, that's probably the way to do it.
1: But, uh, yeah, it's, it was it was funny, though.
2: It's and a good day.
1: De- Janice recognizes her from MASH.
2: From there, we go to our UK spot. So I didn't realize the UK spot was the UK spot. And it's it's very well integrated. It feels mean. It feels so mean. But I'm also inordinate. Sort of like that bear that wasn't Fozzie last season that made me inordinate. I am legit ir- irritated with uh, Miss Piggy this episode just because it's one thing if like, Oh, I didn't realize that was a boundary, which she absolutely realized that she was upsetting boundaries up to this point. But there's a degree of plausible deniability until Kermit finally does fully go off. At which point she's being willfully ignorant. And I don't know. It's upsetting, but (laughs) the, I don't, um, for, she's a jolly good porker. The joke yeah. setup was good. I know it's mean spirited. Seeing how excited everyone is for Fufu to be gone is amazing.
1: Yeah, I like I like that part. I like the fact that, that they they they're they're practicing to sing old Syne to actually give Piggy a nice send-off. Mm-hmm. But then they realize that, yeah, that when she leaves, she's taking Fufu with her, too. And that makes them all very happy.
0: Yeah, Piggy will will really like that. Yeah. Yeah, But in Piggy's case, shouldn't it be, and days of old lang swine? Oh, Oh, no, 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 be serious, guys, because Piggy's been with us for a long time. And when she goes, well, it'll be very sad. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, on the other hand, when she goes, she takes her dog with her. Fufu. Oh, oh, yeah, we'll do better Fufu. That's right.
1: Sh- 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 Scooter recommends. For,
0: she's a, porker, for, for she's, she's a jolly good porker. For she's a jolly good porker. For she's a jolly good
1: porker. But yeah, everyone's very excited that Fufu is going to be gone. It, it, it tells you a lot that they hate the they hate the dog way more than they hate the pig.
2: Yeah, but the pig enables the dog. Like it, I feel bad nine times out of ten when a dog is criticized because you know that that has a lot more to do with the owner than it does with the dog. Right. Um, uh, eight times out of ten. But also, Rolf was leading the charge on not loving Fufu, so it's somehow that makes it more passable.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, he can say it, and others can't. <laughs> yeah, he's, not, he's yeah. not a big, he's not a big Fufu
2: no one's a big piggy is the only big foo, foo fan
1: i always love these shots too because it's like you you want you look at the shot and you know you have you have put muppets up on the the top level but down below you've got fozzy gonzo floyd rolf and scooter so you've got frank dave jerry jim and richard mm-hmm. I, I always love when you get those shots of like five characters that are the five guys
2: and then piggy comes out and piggy seems genuinely touched Oh, man, Miss Piggy. Uh, from there, immediate. So it's weird that this is a UK spot, and I don't know if the next part is still part, part of. The of show.
1: The, no, it's the, part of the show.
2: That's weird. Yes. Yeah. So they reference the UK spot that might not have been included, but Miss Piggy goes back to her dressing room and sings a song called Some of These Days, which feels like that should have been the UK spot, just because, it, like, diegetically, one leads to the other, but if you just have, like, a weird transition of her being touched, I don't know.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think you. I think if you cut it out, I think it would work just fine. I think you would just have Piggy coming in. She, she doesn't mention the song. You would just have Piggy coming into her dressing room, upset, and and she's upset through the whole episode. So I can see that happening. Um, I didn't. This was fine until
2: you saw the dog Fufu.
1: No, until uh. she finishes the song. She leaves and then she comes back in and says, One more time. And does it again, one more time. And Frank just murders it. (laughs) Frank just absolutely murders the song.
2: So we're spending a lot of time backstage on this one, but that makes sense because that's where all of the meat is. Backstage, Miss Piggy tries to smooth things over with Kermit, but uh,
1: it almost works for a second.
2: It does.
1: Almost works for a second, but then she reminds him what she did.
2: Yeah. The one comment that I put in was just, oh my God, Piggy. Yeah. Because you walk right into the bear trap.
1: Yeah, but she comes in and she goes, Kermit, I think we can talk as normal. Grown-up adults here, and discuss the many reasons why I resigned. <laughs> that that was
2: that right there was just sort of like
1: mm, no, <sighs> so good. That's no, so good. On no level, he's like I, you didn't resign; you were let like, go. He's like, I resigned because <laughs> just so the good. willful
2: obst- the obstinance of it all. You're just like, I would respect this if this wasn't so infuriating. But ah, uh, um, and then. Loretta gets to replace Piggy's other big role in uh, pigs in space and Piggy decides that she's going to stay out of revenge and for no other reason, but revenge, it's, it's only, only, yeah, she's revenge.
1: ready to go. And then she's like, no, screw it. I'm staying. Even but, though I was, even though I was fired, I'm still staying. I don't know how that works. But.
2: Maybe she can invoke squatter's rights. I don't know. We get into our finale, which happens to take place on the swine truck.
1: Starts Link. off with Link covered with women's underwear.
2: Which, again... Yeah. We've got theories about Link, but uh, he de- he demands that first mate Piggy stop hanging her things to drip dry in the shower. Now, this, how big of a ship is the swine trick? Because...
1: I don't know. It's like the Enterprise.
2: Yeah. The Enterprise is big enough to have more than one shower. <laughs> That's true. Um, but... Loretta also counters that he's been leaving his girdle lying around and she knows that it's his because his mom sewed his name into it.
1: Linky Pooh, as straight calls him.
2: Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to give Loretta, cause we've been paying a lot of attention to the, the Kermit piggy line, which makes sense because Holy crap. But Loretta has been playing very subtly and very well all episodes. And then also trying to do the peacekeeper thing up to a point. But yeah, also
1: but, but also willing to take a, a role away from Piggy whenever she can.
2: A hundred and ten percent. Piggy comes onto the bridge in order to take over, and then I think she's expecting conflict with Loretta because Loretta would not be the first or ostensibly the last guest star that Piggy's gotten into it with. But Loretta welcomes her with open arms and she just sort of art of wars that and steps aside. And this is the part of the episode that really irked me, because Kermit comes back on to kick her off, and Loretta's like, let's sing a song, it's fine. And they sing side by side by side, what would we do without you?
0: I hate sappy songs like that. <laughs> Alright then, uh, why don't you two just kiss and make up? Well, let's sing the sappy song. <laughs> you don't make it easy, frock. Isn't it warm? Isn't it cozy side by side by side ports in a storm comfy and cozy side by side by side everything shines how sweet side by side by side
1: yeah, Sondheim
2: songs It's, uh, and even Sattler and Waldorf join in.
1: Yeah, I I understand what you mean. She does not earn her forgiveness.
2: I just, Piggy should have stayed fired. Although one thing that I did forget to mention at the beginning of the, uh, the pigs in space bit. is I love the fact that they lead in with our last episode had nothing to do with our previous episode. Neither will this one. (laughs) Yeah, just neither will this one. We're just calling it what it is at this point.
1: Um, I understand what you're saying about, about her not. Earning it about her not changing, um, uh, it didn't bother me. But I get it. I get. I get why it bothers you. But it, it didn't bug me. Um, at the end of the day, they're just muppets.
2: Yeah. Uh, we get to the close of the show, and Loretta tells Kermit that she hopes that no one really thought that she was trying to replace Piggy. I think at this point, Loretta is aware that Piggy's got a history of taking people out back and breaking their kneecaps.
1: Yeah, she knows violence is incoming. If she, she she realizes she's maybe maybe put herself in line for, for a good chopping, so she's trying to wiggle out of it pretty
2: much. Uh, but she says, "quote When a great actress and a great star has developed a role, it's impossible for another actress to fill her shoes," which is an interesting choice because she wasn't. her main role on MASH was her replacing another actress for the role.
1: From the movie, yeah. Uh,
2: Piggy then walks on to stage dressed as Loretta's character from MASH, but says the shoes don't fit. Which is a power move. Like, I half respect it. If I wasn't already kind of irritated with Piggy for this episode, and I'm sure I'll be over this by next week, but um, I would respect it.
1: Yeah, she comes out dressed up like Hot Lips.
2: Hot Lips, Hulahan alliterative but this is our season opener and it's it's a solid couple of episodes I I know I sounded like I was very irritated with the second episode which I was but it's a strong emotional response and that's what they were going for so they did their job
1: um I've been looking forward all these seasons I've been looking forward to Kermit firing piggy I don't mean the whole episode just that one scene it's a hell of a payoff you are
0: fired piggy you are fired fired five you are
2: fired piggy seasons. you are fired from the first temptation number when you can see her clearly making Kermit uncomfortable it yeah. takes 5 seasons for him to finally be like enough is enough <laughs> and then yeah, they the hand man, wave it breaks.
1: yeah i mean they hand wave it to an extent but sitcoms you know like this uh you got to you got to start each episode back at the status quo and so so you got to find a way back was it a lazy way back to the status quo one can argue that it is, yeah, um, that they could have found another way to get things back to normal. Just an apology, yeah. But um, Piggy has no arc this episode. No, she learns nothing. <laughs> she learns nothing from this. She does it, and she gets to keep her job. That is the power of the pig.
2: She will. Ab- if it was going on for a sixth season, she would absolutely do it again.
1: She would absolutely do it again. Yeah. Because look at all the attention it got her. Mm-hmm. She got to do it. Yeah, she had a good time. But yeah, I don't know. But I, I really like this one. It's it's a good one. Loretta's foot is really game. And um, I don't think we. It, you're you're right. I don't think we talked about Loretta enough. Um, I thought her voice was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she came to play. Next time, rats. Why did it have to be rats? I so understand. next time we will be discussing episode number. 503 with uh, singer-songwriter Joan Baez, and then episode 504 with singer Shirley Bassey. Nice. But uh, until then, uh, I am Chad. And I'm Nick. And uh, thank you for listening. Feat of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shank and hosted by Chad J. Shank and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Potowitz. And a proud production of
0: Antithesis Audio. South Dakota.
1: South Dakota has
0: nothing to do with this show. That's what I want. Nothing to do with this show. <laughs> <laughs>